Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, thank you, worship team. Great job leading us in worship today. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John chapter 2. First John's not an easy book to find. It's almost at the very end of your Bible. As a matter of fact, if you go to the last book in your Bible, the book of the Revelation, and go back a few pages, you'll find 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 2. I started a sermon series of, uh, a little while back uh, called uh, Love Life. What's love got to do with it? Now, we're not talking about marriage. We're not talking about boyfriend, girlfriend. We're talking about what does God tell us about this subject of love? Because we tend to think with Christianity, you know, what's love got to do with any of this? And so it has everything to do with it, starting with for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the whole Christian life is built off that idea of love. And so the book of 1 John is such a small book, but it mentions the word love, the third most of any book in the Bible. 26 times the word love is used in the book of 1 John. So here's what we've looked at so far. We've looked at God's love for us. We have looked at our love for one another, the most talked about theme in 1 John. Last week, we looked at uh, our love for God. Now, this week, I want to go a little bit different direction. Because 1 John talks about some things, get this, we should not love. We should not love. Now, I've been, I've been doing this by accident, but I just, I'm on a roll. And so last week, I think, you know, I preached on you give love a bad name, you know, and, or maybe that's two weeks ago, I don't remember. And um, I, I had a foreigner song, you know, last week. And man, this just fit perfectly. I mean, this title to this sermon fit perfectly. See if anybody knows who sang this song. So I'm going to preach this week on, I hate myself for loving you. Anybody from the 80s remember who sang that song? Yeah, who was it? Joan Jett, that great theologian of the 80s. Joan Jett and her seminary team, the Blackhearts, sang this song, I Hate Myself for Loving You. And that is exactly what we want to look at today is this idea of I hate myself for loving you. We're going to look in 1 John chapter 2. Hey, let me say this. I made a mistake. Those mugs that we have for sale are not for sale until next week week. So we're showing them to you today so you can bring $5 next week and get one, all right? So they'll be on sale uh, next week. I hate myself for loving you. Let's talk about that this morning because that's what John talks about in 1 John chapter 2. How many of you have ever heard of something called the Stockholm Syndrome? Let me see your hand. You ever heard of that? Uh, Many of you have, and let me tell you where that came from. It happened on um, the morning of August 23rd, 1973, An escaped convict crossed the streets in Sweden's capital and went into a bank in Stockholm's upscale city square. Jan Eric Olsen pulled a loaded submachine gun, fired at the ceiling, disguised his voice to sound like an American, and cried out, the party has just begun. He wounded a police officer who had responded to a silent alarm, and then he took four bank employees hostage. Olson demanded more than $700,000 in money, a getaway car, and the release of a friend of his, Clark Olafson, who was serving time for armed robbery uh, and the murder of a police officer. 
Well, within hours, the police had given him everything he wanted. Uh, the fellow convict, a blue Ford Mustang with a full tank of gas. However, they refused the robber's demands to leave with the hostages in the car. And so the unfolding drama began to play out on national television. Holed up inside a cramped bank vault, the captives, the four bank employees, quickly formed a strange bond with their abductors. Olson draped a wool jacket over the shoulders of a hostage named Kristen Inmark, and when she began to shiver, soothed her when she had a bad dream, and gave her a bullet from his gun as a memento of the event. He helped Brigetta Lundblad, when she couldn't reach her family by phone, comfort her and said, don't give up, try again. When hostage Elizabeth Oldgren complained of claustrophobia, he allowed her to walk around the vault tied to a 30-foot rope. Later, she told a New Yorker magazine that I remember thinking he was very kind to allow me to leave the vault. One of the hostages said, when he treated us well, we could think of him as an emergency God. By the second day, they were on a first-name basis with their captors, and they started to fear the police more than their abductors. When the police commissioner was allowed inside to inspect the hostages' health, he noticed that the captives appeared hostile to him but relaxed and jovial with the people holding a gun to his head. He said they have a rather relaxed relationship, even when threatened with physical harm. This boggles the mind. They saw compassion in their abductors. After Olson threatened to shoot Safestrom, the only male, in the leg, his response was, I thought, how kind of him for saying he was only going to shoot me in the leg. Ultimately, he did no physical harm, and he let them out on August 28th. When they were walking out, the hostages were supposed to come out first. But the four captives refused to come out first. They yelled, no, you'll gun them down if we do, speaking of their abductors. And as they were seen carrying the two abductors away, one of the female hostages cried out, don't hurt them. They didn't harm us. They developed this overly fond attachment to people who had taken them hostage when psychologists said of the Stockholm syndrome I find it very natural that you would adapt yourself to identify with your kidnapper especially if you spend a great deal of time with that person it's about empathy communication looking for normality within the framework of a crime is not a syndrome it's a survival strategy and so today when somebody becomes overly fond Sometimes they even fall in love with the people who are threatening them with physical harm. Survival strategy. An emergency God. I read about the Stockholm Syndrome and I think that is somewhat maybe what has happened to us in the Christian world. Because we are being held captive in a place that is not our home. Our citizenship belongs somewhere else. And meanwhile, what happens to us is we have fallen in love with our captors. 
We have fallen in love with this natural world. We have fallen in love with the things of the world that uh, most more times than not, they have a metaphorical gun to our head. More times than not, they are doing us harm. More times than not, they are trying to hurt us, but we develop this passion. We develop this, this uh, relationship. We develop, can I say this, even love. For the enemy's things that are surrounding us. And John told us that that might happen. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it in 1 John chapter 2. In three short verses beginning in verse 15. Here's what John said. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me walk you through those verses and just make a couple of observations I think will help us. John is beginning and explaining to us what we do not need to be in love with. Now, so far, we've only talked about what we should love. We should love God. We should love one another. God loves us. But he's writing to warn us of the danger the world has to their Christian walk. So let's begin in verse 15, and let me explain to you, unfold for you what John was saying, because he starts off with a strong note in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, When John says the word world, that can be a little confusing to us. So let me explain. John is not referring to creation when he says world. He's not saying that we shouldn't love this beautiful creation that God has put together. That is not the intent of the word. John is not saying that we should not love the people of the world. Because after all, we're told in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So if John is not talking about creation as the world, if John is not talking about the people of the world, then what in the world is John talking about? Well, the word in the Greek there is the word cosmos. And the word cosmos began to acquire a moral sense about it. It began to mean a world apart from God. It is a world that is organized on uh, wrong principles, characterized by wrong desires. And in other words, John, when he says world, is referring to the pagan society that surrounds us with its false values and its false God. In this passage, when John says world and anything in the world, It's a complex web of values, decisions, and directions in life that are chosen without consideration for knowing and doing the will of God. Here, in short, is what the world means. John is saying that don't love the world. That is the the systems of the world, the organized strategies of our enemy. Don't be in love with things that are not in love with God. And here's what he says. We are not to love the world. We are not to love the things in the world because look at what he says in verse 15. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Now, here's what he meant by that. If you love the world, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you're not loving God. And so here's what he's saying. You cannot love this enemy's world. You cannot love the systems of this world. You cannot love the things that our enemy puts out in front of you and love God at the same time. You have to choose who are you going to love. Are you going to love the world and its system or are you going to love God? 
in the things of God. And so he gives us a straight command, don't love the world or the things in the world. You say, well, can you be a little more specific? And John decides to be a little more specific. You can sum up the world he's speaking about in verse 16 with three phrases. He says, for all that is in the world, here they are, the lust of the flesh. The word lust there, you know what it means, but it means the cravings, the, the lust of the flesh. Now, I'll be honest, in, in the Greek language, this, this has, um, this is indicative of sexual sin, but it's not limited to that. The lust of the flesh that he's speaking of include all the immoral excesses. It includes sensual pleasure. Here's what lust of the flesh is. It is fulfilling natural desires in an unholy way. Lust of the flesh is when you take a desire that is built into your body and you satisfy it apart from God. And that's what the world offers. And then he says, what else is in the world? The lust of the eyes. Sins of craving. Eyes can lust after many things. In the Old Testament in Joshua, Achan saw a beautiful robe and the silver and gold from Babylon and took it, and it cost him his life. David saw a beautiful woman bathing and wanted her and, and committed murder and adultery and took her as his wife. The things that we see with our eyes that entice us. And finally, he says the third phrase that describes the world is the pride of life. It refers to an inward attitude and the outward boasting because it's an obsession with your status or position in life. It carries with it in the, in the definition a note of exact, exaggeration that a person may even brag or lie or stretch the truth in order to impress other people. And that is what John meant when he said uh, the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Someone described it this way. The lust of the flesh is the, the desire to do something apart from the will of God. The lust of the eyes is the desire to have something apart from the will of God. And the pride of life is the desire to be something apart from the will of God. One, one uh, uh, is a temptation to the body. One is a temptation to the soul. And one is a temptation to the spirit. Now, you should recognize these because this is uh, the enemy's method of temptation beginning back with Eve. Look, look at this Bible verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It's on the screen. So look at the Bible verse. So when the woman, that's Eve, saw that, notice the phrases, the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate. Notice those three phrases. She saw that the tree was good for food. That is the lust of the flesh. Now, here Adam and Eve had the entire garden and every, every fruit, vegetable you wanted uh, in the garden at their disposal. And there was one tree they were not allowed to eat of, and Eve can't get her mind off that tree. So when Eve had hunger, she decided to satisfy the hunger apart from the will of God. That was lust of the flesh. Then she saw it was pleasant to the eye. I don't really know how you make fruit pleasant to the eyes. Maybe it was wrapped in a Snickers wrapper back in the day. Maybe the fruit was covered in caramel and nuts. Who knows? But she saw the fruit and it was, she wanted to satisfy that natural desire in an unholy way. It was beautiful to look at. And the enemy had told her, 
It was a tree that would make you wise. Isn't that funny? Here's a perfect man, a perfect woman who talked to God every day of their lives. If you wanted wisdom, who would you ask? God or a piece of fruit? And Eve has been tricked into asking a piece of fruit. Well, it's not the only person he tempted that way. In Matthew chapter 4, we won't put it on the screen or turn there. Just let me talk about it for a moment. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan showed up to tempt him. And the first temptation was he said, turn this stone to bread. Jesus was in the, in the midst of a fast and Satan shows up and says, well, you need to feed yourself. Why don't you just turn this stone into bread? That was a temptation with lust of the flesh. Then he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and offered to give those to Christ. And that was the lust of the eyes. And then he said to Jesus, why don't you throw yourself off the top of the temple and have the angels swoop in at the last moment. He was... He was, he was tempting Jesus with, be a superhero in front of everybody's eyes. And the people will love you and the people will go crazy for you. And that was the pride of life. It was the same temptations he tempted Eve with. It was the same world system he tempted Jesus with. And it's the same thing he'll tempt you and then verse 17, he gives us a very important verse that often gets overlooked, and that is the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's foolish to desire the things of the world because the world and its desires are passing away. The word passing away there is a verb in the present tense. It depicts the world is passing away even now. There's no future in this world. There is no future in worldliness. This world is doomed. And only those that serve God and serve the will of God will last forever. So there's the three verses. That's why John would come along and, hey, the fact is we all stumble, right? The fact is we all fall. The fact is, when we find ourselves in verse 16, that's why we can say, I, I hate myself. I don't want to live this way, but we do. So let me help you this morning and kind of break down what John was saying. Here, here's three things I want to tell us. Number one is this. You have to pick a side. You have to pick a side. What do you mean? Well, here's what he was saying. You can either love God or you can love the world. You cannot do both. The first commandment told us that. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Joshua told us that. In the book of Joshua, choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, you cannot serve two gods. You cannot play both sides. And verse 15, here's what John is telling us. He lays it out plainly. You cannot be in love with the world and in love with God too. Now listen to me. Look this way. I'm not saying you can't play with both sides. I'm not saying you can't be in touch with both sides. I'm not saying you can't even be friendly to both. You definitely can. In Corinthians, it's called a carnal Christian. And in Corinthians, it's, it's people who are trying to be friendly to the world and friendly to God all at the same time. Yes, you can do that. 
You can please neither side and wind up in the middle and have a lukewarm life that God said makes him sick. But here's the truth. You cannot love both sides. You cannot give your heart to both sides. I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe this is no big deal because you're not trying to give your heart to God. But just know there is no middle ground. But if you here are a Christian, you are immediately faced with a dilemma because you are living in the midst of the enemy's territory. You are being held captive by the enemy. And you can't be in love with this stuff because love for this world means you've lost your love for God. Love for God means you'll lose your lust and love for this world. See, because whatever you love is going to get your attention. Whatever you love is going to get your time. Whatever you love is going to get your money. Whatever you love is going to get your loyalty, your faithfulness. Whatever you love is going to get your passion. You can't love one one day and another the next. You have to pick a side. Most of you probably never never heard of the name Thomas Hickey, but he was a Continental Army soldier in the American Revolutionary War. He was, he holds the distinction of being the first person executed for treason in the United States. He was born, to, born in Ireland, came to America, and when he came, he was a soldier in the British Army, but he deserted that during the Revolution, uh, Revolutionary War and became part of the lifeguard that guarded uh, General Washington, his staff, and their payroll. So here's this guy, Thomas Hickey, was in the British Army. He now joined the American Army, and he became what we would call today part of the Secret Service that guarded George Washington, the money, and the important papers. But in 1776, he was arrested for passing counterfeit money. And while he was in prison, he told another prisoner that he was actually working for the British Army. And he was going to go back to the British Army once the uh, expected invasion came. And so that soldier told on him, and they had a trial for him, and he was found guilty of mutiny, treason, and sedition. And on June 28, 1776... In front of a crowd of 20,000 spectators in New York, General Washington made every soldier in his army watch the execution and watch Thomas Hickey hang. You know what his problem was? He couldn't pick a side. He was British. He was American. He was British. And then he was hanged because he shouldn't, couldn't choose a side. Can I say to you today that you have to pick a side? You have to pick a side in order to be saved? There is no middle ground. God never gave space for, well, if you don't, if you're not, you don't have to go to hell, but you may not go to heaven. You don't have to trust God, but you don't know. God said you're either on for me or against me. You're either on my side or you're not. And today, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm a good person. I'm a great guy. And you may be. But if you're not for God, you're against him. Those are the words of Jesus, not me. And if you're a Christian, I'm talking about who are you giving your heart to today? Because you can't love God and love the world at the same time. You can't love the things in the world and love God at the same time. And so we have to ask ourselves the question this morning, who do you love? What side have you chosen? 
Where are you putting your time? Where are you putting your treasures? Where are you putting your talents? Where are you putting your passion? I want to implore you today, pick God's side. You have to pick a side. That leads me to the second thing, and that's this. Satan has some tricks up his sleeve. Now, like, so, so write that down and look this way. I tell you, you have to pick a side, and, and, and look, that sounds easy, right? Let me phrase it to you another way. You have to choose Satan or God. Which one do you choose? You have to choose heaven or hell. Which one do you choose? You have to choose dis- eternal destruction or paradise. Which do you choose? You have to be for God or against God. Who do you choose? I mean, I'll be honest. Newborn baby can make that decision, right? My my dog's not the brightest dog in the world, and my dog can make that decision. You want to go to eternal fire or eternal paradise? My dog's walking over to the Alpo every single time, right? And I'll be honest, I, I'm, I, it's not football season, so I'm trying not to be mean, but even a certain team's football fans could make that decision, right? You just fill in the blank however you want to fill in the blank. I don't care. Well, the trouble is the enemy doesn't ask the question that way. The trouble is our enemy is smart and he clothes his destruction. He clothes his pain. He wraps his misery in trappings that confuse us, confuse us, that things that our flesh craves, things that our eyes crave, things that our egos crave. And he has the ability to take what's the worst thing for us and he wraps it up in in beautiful wrapping. And all of a sudden it becomes hard for us to pick a side. That's where we get confused. You know it's not right for you, but you see it and all the world has to offer and suddenly you get confused because our enemy knows a trick or two. And those tricks are the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He knows exactly how to appeal appeal to you. So he will take his pain, he will take his misery, he will take his destruction and he will wrap it and package it in the most beautiful packaging ever. This morning... I offered you broccoli. You can see what that is, broccoli. That's real broccoli too, man. It's a, it's a genuine thing. If I said you can have broccoli or a moon pie. Now, you know which is better for you, don't you? Right? See? Denny's, Denny's already confused. About 15 calories if you shove that whole thing in your mouth and ate it at once. No, it's supposed to be good for you. They say broccoli cleans out your intestines and your stomach and it does all kinds of great things for you. Full of vitamins and and all this, but this is chocolate. (laughs) And and can I tell you what what your enemy does? I'm not calling God's things broccoli. But that's what our enemy does. Well, he makes this smell good. I get nothing right there. (laughs) Hey, it's my sermon. (laughs) Tastes good. It looks good, right? I mean, it's beautiful. This looks like my lawnmower should cut it down, right? Like, (laughs) here's what the enemy does to you. 
he comes along and he'll, 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 he'll try the best in his mind to wrap God's stuff to look like broccoli. And that's not true. That's not true. Oh, he'll paint that picture for you. He'll tell you, oh, 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 God's stuff's like broccoli. Who wants to eat broccoli? But my stuff is beautiful. My stuff is beautiful wrapping. Don't pay attention to the calories on the back. Don't pay attention to all the 40 carbohydrates. Good night. And one of these things and 20 grand. Don't pay attention to any of that. Smell it. Look at it. Just take a little bite. That's what he told Eve. He comes along with his stuff and he comes along with God's stuff. No, that's not true. There's no more blessed life. If, if there is a moon pie living, it is Christianity. It's not the world's way, but the, the enemy wraps it to confuse you. Because he's got a trick or two up his sleeve. I mean, once you know Christ, you know he's the moon pie, but our enemy will do all he can do to appeal to your lust. He'll wrap it in great, appealing wrapping. But listen, you'll fall in love with the world, and when you do, listen, heartache is around the corner. Now, nobody ever samples the devil's fare and comes away better. Nobody ever partakes of the enemy's tricks and comes away better. And I'm wondering this morning if it's possible you have fallen for the enemy's tricks. Listen to me. Misery always follows. I don't care how it's wrapped. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if it appeals to your flesh or your eyes or your ego. Listen, it, is got, it has destruction attached to it every single time. Should be an easy decision, right? You want to serve God or serve Satan, but... The devil has some tricks up his sleeves, which leads me to the third thing. And that is there can only be one winner. Here's the wake-up call. When you're determining where your heart lies, there is a winner and there is a loser. Hey, any of you kids, anybody playing Fortnite over here? Anybody playing Fortnite? I won the other day, by the way, all by myself. I, t I jumped up, I screamed, I jumped up out of my chair and took pictures of the, uh, of the winning screen and I'll show it at 11. Guys, remind me in the sound room, show that at 11. Because I, 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 I'm proud of the fact I won. And for those of you who don't play PlayStation, Xbox, you don't know what Fortnite is, never mind. But for those of us who play, when my Fortnite screen is loading, it has this phrase at the bottom. There can only be one winner. That's exactly what Jesus was saying in verse number 17. John was saying in verse 17 that there is a winner and there is a loser. Choose carefully what or who you love. What do you mean? Because the world is passing away in the lust of it. Love the world and the things in it. Here's what you're going to get. All of that will pass away one day. It's actually passing away now. And get this, every moment you spend loving the world is a moment lost. Every dollar you spend loving the world is a dollar lost. All the energy and resources you put in loving the world, everything you invest in in this world is a bad investment. But not with God. Every investment you make in the kingdom of God lasts forever. 
Every ounce of energy put in the kingdom lasts for eternity. Every dollar put in the kingdom lasts for eternity. Every prayer put in the kingdom lasts for eternity. Every moment walking, spent walking with God lasts for eternity. Every moment spent serving God lasts for eternity. Every moment spent sharing Christ lasts for eternity because this world is passing away. But the things of God will last forever. By the way, after the service, I'm a... I told you I should have sold doTERRA oils the other day. I mentioned doTERRA oils, and that has taken off. And, and unfortunately, I did not set up a table in the booth. I won't make that mistake next time. I should have set up a moon pie booth today. That would have got me places. But um, uh, after service, I'm going to sell some things. After service, I have some Enron stock for sale. I'd love for you to buy into this company called Enron. It's going to do great things. Not only that. For those of you who are more technologically savvy, I'm also selling, selling shares of MySpace after the service too. It's this newfangled thing coming up. And, and finally, after the service, I, I want to sell, sell some stock in this really neat invention that has just come out. It's called a telephone, and they'll run a wire from your house to somebody else's house, and you can talk to one another. Who's ever heard of such? So, Preacher, Enron's bankrupt. MySpace is out in space, and nobody has a landline phone anymore. Right. Honestly, you'd be crazy to invest in any of those things. But no crazier than what you are investing in the things of this world. A telephone would be a better investment than you investing in the passing fleeting things of this world. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are you investing in day in and day out? Where does your time go? Where do your treasures go? Where do your talents go? See, I'm afraid that yeah, we're picking sides, but we're picking the wrong side. And what's happening to us is that we're, we're, we're loading all of our resources into this world. And I know we have to live in this world. I know we have to function in this world. I know we have to operate in this world. But listen, we don't have to love this world. I'm not telling you not to save for retirement. I'm not, I'm not telling you not to buy. I'm not telling you that. That's not the world system. The world system are the things that move us farther away from God. And so many of us get, we're so used to living in this world, we know nothing else, but our citizenship is somewhere else. And there's going to be a one winner. And John tells us, Jesus wins. If you're a Christian, that's a real good place to say amen. But, but, even we as Christians can get trapped, confused by the tricks of our enemy. And before you know it, we know there's one winner, we know it, but we're making investments that are bad, bad investments. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, listen, man, man, everything I spoke to the family today applies to you as well. The fact is, I know some of you are here and you're not a believer and you're thinking, well, you know, preacher, I'll take care of that one day, or, or maybe I'll just be a good, no, man, none of that works. Being a good person, none of that works. You have to trust Jesus. That is the only way. He's the winner. And you've got to pick a side. Whose side are you going to be on? And, and listen, I know 
you say, well, you're oversimplifying it. No, I'm not. There is a heaven and hell, choose one. There is Satan and there is Christ, choose one. There is eternal damnation or eternal paradise. Choose one. I've been where you are. Man, I've been sitting in a pew, not a believer, and had the Spirit of God draw in my heart to Christ, and all the while the enemy flooded my mind with all the worldly reasons I should not be a Christian. Ignore all of those. To be this Christian is as simple as ABC. I admit you're a sinner, and you can't save yourself. You can't work your way to heaven, give your way to heaven, earn your way to heaven. None of us can. Be Believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And see, confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Call unto him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're not born a Christian physically. You don't grow into being a Christian. You trust Christ and you become a believer. That's how you get saved. You need to do that today. There are those of you who are Christians today. You need to evaluate your heart. Hey, can we, can we be honest? Look this way. I'm with you. I'm the preacher, but I'm human. And I'll be honest, there are times that the enemy can wrap the world and look so good if you're not careful. You're investing where you should not be investing. You're loving what you should not be loving. And you need a heart check today. So you bow your heads and close your eyes and just stand right where you are. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and need to become a Christian, I'm going to invite you to do that just now. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. It's not the words you say, but the intent of your hearts to trust Christ as your Savior. If you'd like to become a Christian now, I want you to pray with me. Say this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I cannot earn my way to heaven, but I know Christ died on the cross and rose again, so I could be saved. So just now invite Jesus Christ into my heart and life to save me, forgive me of my sins, and give me a home in heaven. I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.